When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express Card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Hey, Amar. Hey, Wilmer. Welcome back, everyone, to Essential Voices. This week's story is very near and dear to my heart and brings us back to the early days of the pandemic. It's hard for us to mentally go back there when we were all so scared and unsure of what was going on. And I remember checking the numbers frantically to see how full the hospitals were around me. And of course, I watched as the death toll crept up and up. I also had a personal connection with all of this because my dad got COVID and with his previous health conditions, we had so many concerns. And as a family, you know, we were worried about what might happen to him. We were a very lucky family that he made it through his bout of COVID. But I have expert medical professionals to thank for him still being with us today. So that's why I was incredibly moved and humbled by our essential voice, Anthony, and his honesty in talking about his experience with all of this. So kick us off, Amar, what we got on deck today. Today, we're going to hear from essential worker Anthony Almojera. Anthony's an EMS first responder in New York City. And to me, he epitomizes the heart and soul of first responders. And he paints a grim picture of the realities that he and his team were dealing with during the darkest moments of the pandemic. While hunkered down indoors, those fortunate enough not to be on the front lines heard horror stories from folks like Anthony. And we were humbled that he shared his story with us. We owe a lot to first responders like Anthony. And not only did he share about all the influx of emergency calls he responded to throughout the pandemic, but also about the severe toll the pandemic took on EMS workers and mental health. Anthony is a union leader and an EMS lieutenant, and so he took care of his own mental and physical health while also taking care of his colleagues. Anthony shares this hardest service that we've seen from all our essential workers on the show, and he's always thinking about his community and about what improvements he wants to see in the city's treatment of fellow EMS workers. And next week, we'll have a roundtable conversation with grief expert, psychotherapist, and host of the podcast, Hereafter, Megan Devine. And a note to listeners, this episode deals with mentions of suicide. So keep that in mind in deciding where and when to listen. Anthony's story starts right now. Thank you, Anthony. I'm so happy to have this conversation with you. 
Um, you're an EMS, right? You mind telling us a little bit about what that means? Yes, it's a noble profession. EMS stands for Emergency Medical Service. So we're the ones that operate and staff the ambulances you see running by your streets every day. What was your first day like when you first entered this world? So my first day in the fire department was the first day on the streets. I had to go to the academy. Now, I had been in EMT for a couple of years before that doing medical transport. But the first day in 911 was April 10th. 2004. And my first job on the streets up in Harlem, I got sent to Harlem when I came out of the academy, was I had a seven-car MVA motor vehicle accident on Lenox Avenue. And one of the cars had flipped over the median and was laying upside down on the other side. And I had a baby in a car seat that was trapped. My first job. So I get running out. I'm all nervous, you know. I'm like, oh, you know, what's crazy? And there's all these people, and we have all these ambulances and cops, and the firefighters are ripping open the door, and I'm inside trying to control bleeding on people. And we get them all to the hospital, and I came out of the hospital, Harlem Hospital, and I was hooked. That adrenaline pump, there's nothing like it. The magic of this job and the real high, when you go to a call, and they're not breathing or talking, and then all of a sudden they get to the hospital, and because of your interventions, they're breathing and talking, that's powerful, man. That's something where you feel the energy of the universe just kind of flow. That's kind of what makes you passionate, right? It's just the calling, right? You got a phone call from above and tells you this is your moment to show up, and when you do, does things slow down? Like, how do you see it? How do you organize your thoughts in that moment? You would think that everything would speed up in those moments, right? You get there, somebody's yelling, somebody's doing this, somebody's having a baby, whatever it is. But really, some of this is training that EMTs and medics have to learn how to process and then start picking apart what's important and what's not. And then some of it is just innate ability, right? Because I've worked with people who don't last on this job. They come on, you know, after six months, they realize it's not for them. They ain't got it. And the rest of us, while it does have a psychological impact what we see. Just for your own knowledge, EMS workers have the highest rates of suicides amongst 911 providers. So it's not like we see things and then we're able to let it go. Some of us, it follows us. I myself have had my own suicidal ideations. When you get there, though, even if the outcome is not good, what I feel is I was blessed, for lack of a better word, or fortunate enough to even comfort the living we're not always successful. People do die. But everything slows down, and you're able to pick apart and process and do your job where you're doing it with the outside. If you were looking at me, I'm moving like that. I'm intubating you. I'm getting you on the EKG. I'm starting an IV. My partner and I are doing that in minutes. But for me, it feels like hours feels like hours because I have all the time in the world because you're just moving. You know, basketball players say you got to move without the ball, right? And that's what we're doing, right? If my partner and I, we don't even really speak to each other on the call. We just know. It's almost it's like it's just, here's the IV, here's the medication. What's going on? Okay, let's get... Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, and then when it doesn't go well, because when it goes well, we all get to celebrate, right? We won the championship. You were an asthmatic. You weren't breathing. You're breathing. We deliver a baby. Here you go. Here's your kid. 
you know, I've delivered 16. Not one has been named Anthony. I'm a little upset <laughs> at that. You know, it's the least, you know, the nickname, something. Give me something. But but when it goes bad, right, when somebody dies because they have a disease we can't fix or we didn't get there in time or there's injuries are just too great, we also get to celebrate the life. You know, we get to sit there with the family and have a moment of what I call a grief transfer. You know, because I have to I have to kind of unload all that because I failed, even though there's some extenuating service, I still take it as a failure. But I sit there with the family and they look at me and they say, thank you. Do you know what it's like to have somebody die and the family member goes, thank you? That means they saw what my partner and I were doing. They saw all the efforts given and they're thankful that somebody else cared about their family as if it was their own. And that's what it feels like. You know, things slow down. You become a part of the family. The stranger is now my family. And you really feel like, you know, you're celebrating a life. Even if, even if that person dies, you're celebrating their life with them. We'll be right back after this break. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Thank you for sharing that, Anthony. Like, you got to think about how well-rounded you have to be to answer a call, right? Because it could be anything. And then all of a sudden, you get introduced to a pandemic. What was that like for you? I think about what an adventurous and rewarding road you've taken. And then you get introduced to one of the scariest times in the moment of our generation. What was that like? I mean, what were those conversations like? How did it all you know, evolve for you? So... We knew a pandemic was coming. We didn't know the extent or how it would hit. You know, we've been lucky in the past. We've had some patients. You know, we had an Ebola patient. The first Ebola patient in the United States was treated by the fire department, paramedic. We had H1N1 SARS, but we didn't get punched in the face. And then we're hearing this thing. And then we start seeing some patients. And we're like, oh, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. And then around March 19th, March 20th last year, it was like a bomb hit. Normally, EMS in New York City does 3,500 to 4,000 runs a day. It went to 6,500, 7,000 runs a day. There's only about 4,100 of us. We were running all over the city. Wilma, up until that point, I always thought 
because of the way I was brought up, because of some of my lifestyle practices and the experience in this job that had unlimited supply of empathy. What the pandemic showed me was I did not. I was going to calls that you feel like you can save them, 35-year-old people who couldn't breathe. They're talking to you. By the time we get them to the ambulance, they went into cardiac arrest. We couldn't get them back. We saw people die at a crazy clip. In one 16-hour shift for me, I had 13 cardiac arrests, 13 people that we couldn't get back. It wasn't just me, the medics and EMTs. I was never more proud of them, but I was also scared for them because they saw so much death, so much suffering. And then what really brought it home was we started to get sick. At one time, 25% of the workforce was out sick. So you took a workforce of 4,000, you made it 3,000. I didn't get sick. I watched a lot of people get sick around me. To this day, I've had 10 medics and EMTs pass away from COVID. I've also had four of them commit suicide. And I still have a whole slew of others that still have not been back to work because of COVID, because of COVID long haulers or other medical issues that arose from it. How it affected me, because I'm the vice president of my union. So a lot of people were calling me, you know, I'm fighting with management to get us more supplies. And people are really kind of confiding in me. And I started to struggle with my own things. And, you know, I, I felt suicidal myself. Earlier this year is when it all hit me. And I, I really felt like I was bottoming out. Thankfully, I have friends and, and, and other resources I could tap into. But there was a moment when I had no hope. In, in February, I was like, that's it, I'm done. And I had started to go through the machinations of killing myself, you know, which has always been the scary part. You know, you read about that. Or I've had patients like that where they can't see the angles anymore. And so they start to do the planning. As long as you can see the angles, you can see the hope. You see a light around the corner. But then, then no, I, I really felt that for the first time in my life. So to process all of this while this is happening, and then you're seeing what the government's doing, which is nothing. You're seeing supplies run out. You're seeing people get into fights because they don't want to wear a mask. I was kind of hoping this was a moment that, you know, we would look at each other as Americans and be like, yeah, we're in this together. I mean, you were here. You saw what happened. There was, and there were wonderful people during it. The actor Jeffrey Wright hooked up with us. He fed us every day, which was big. Uh, we had people come into the station saying, hey, you know, we just want to check on you. That was nice. We saw a lot of individual moments of, of beauty, but I never saw EMS handle that. You know, in the past, we maybe get one day, like Sandy, the hurricane or a 9-11 event. You know, you get the surge and then it dies. This went on for weeks. Did you feel like... The infrastructure in New York was supporting you guys this day in, day out. You know, it seems like, you know, you guys were taking on a lot. New York City individuals and communities were really there for us. The city of New York itself, as far as management, no, they were. The fire department has been mismanaged for years. The short staffing we've been warning them about because EMS workers were 911 workers, right? When you call 911, you get cops, firefighters, EMS but for some reason, EMS workers, they want to pay $35,000 less. They won't give them the same pay and benefits. So right now, at the height of the pandemic, 
75% of my workforce had less than five years experience. That's not how you run a 911 agency. And then about two and a half weeks into the height of the pandemic, we're being told they're running out of the N95 mask. We're starting to use gowns that are made of plastic, like, you know, the school lunch ladies used to have? We're starting to get the threat of we're not going to be able to respond to calls because I can't help you if I'm sacrificing my own health, right? And the mayor, you know, the mayor of New York City let us down. I think he still continues to let us down. He came out with statements, EMS work is different. When he was asked, should we take care of the EMS workers? Oh, we'll get to it. He wants to have a parade for us now, essential workers. And that rings hollow. You know, it's like, uh, let them eat cake, you know? We'll be right back after this break. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When something happens to your car, you might say... But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Allison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Welcome back to Essential Voices. It makes me really sad, man. It makes me... It makes me feel really, really sad to know that on a local level, on a neighborhood level, I said in a community level, we have to come up with our own solutions um, when we show up and elect leadership that's uh, meant to understand what it's like to be you and your neighborhood, you know? Do you mind sharing a little bit more about your work with the union and what steps are you guys taking and, you know, what, where you guys are in this conversation? So, yeah, I'm the vice president of the FDNY EMS Officers Union. That's the lieutenants and captains. We're all paramedics. And uh, for years, we've been trying to fight for EMS, what we call EMS parity with the other 911 agencies, police and fire. And um, right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm taking a break, but we're in negotiations with the city. And they're fighting us for everything. I think we're going to get a contract. It's going to be a nice raise, but... A lot of it is funded through givebacks that we're doing. But, you know, um, we supported a mayor who I think is going to win, who promised us parity. You know, what I said to him on the campaign trail was EMS has been wandering the desert for 40 years. Bring us home. So from a union's perspective, what I want to do is, because I know how hard we work and how essential we are, I want to make sure that EMS workers only have to work one job. 
Right now, I work with EMTs and medics who work three jobs. I work three jobs. You shouldn't, as a paramedic in this city, in the busiest EMS service in the world, you should not have to work three jobs. When I have to work three jobs, you know who loses out? You. You, the citizen. I'm not focused on this job like I should be. I'm not available for this job like I should be. I'm not happy at home because I don't get to see, you know, I'm not married, but, you know, I won't get to see my wife and kids. I'm not happy because I can't go out. I'm constantly working. If people really want to get involved so that union leaders can really give the public what they deserve is a dedicated, paid EMS workforce. This should not be a volunteer thing. God bless the people that volunteer to do this. But you should not have to wake up somebody at 3 in the morning from their bed to come in and help you because you're having a heart attack. You know, it should be a national service like in other countries. We should be paid accordingly so that we can live in the cities we work with. I work with guys who drive Uber. During the pandemic, I had an EMT at my station that would finish working crazy hours, and then he went and worked at a store to stock shelves because he still had to make more money. You, you know, imagine you're doing 911 calls all day, like I was telling you about, delivering babies, giving medications, and then you're in a store stocking shelves. That's insanity. What kind of, to me, that question's, like me as an American, what do I want in this country, right? You know, what I, this is not what I, the pandemic exposed a lot of fault lines in this country. And one of them was it's 911 service, specifically EMS, right? We don't talk about EMS because that's the things you don't want to talk about in life because that acknowledges mortality, right? We don't go around the streets walking and talking about our illnesses or the fact we're going to die someday. But when we see the ambulance, we know what that represents. So we don't acknowledge them like we acknowledge firefighters and cops, right? And cops and firefighters deserve whatever they get. But they don't really acknowledge us because to acknowledge us is to acknowledge your own mortality. The fact that, hey, an ambulance is going to come to me when I'm sick or injured. And I don't ever want that. So I'm not going to think about that. So when we say we need more money and benefits, because guess what? You're going to need us. The second busiest 911 service in the country is EMS. You're going to need us. So, so I want people out there who are listening to this is, you know, write your congressman, write your councilman or councilwoman and say, hey, listen, what's our EMS situation like in this city? Because we have to get them paid. We have to make sure that when I call 911, because if we were a healthy society, you wouldn't think about us until you needed us. Because we don't have to keep forcing you to remember us. Right now, I have to force you to remember us. How are you self-caring? How are you creating the right uh, practice and infrastructure to continue to, to cope, to process, and to get to a stronger place? And then maybe also, you know, while talking a little bit about the inner strength you're finding, you know, to continue to go on and the people you're fighting for, what is the city or anyone doing about the type of mental health strengthening being done for your colleagues? Those are excellent questions. Uh, I'll start with myself, right? What am I doing to center myself? Obviously, I just exposed that I've had suicidal thoughts to the point where I thought I was actually going to do it. So I'm not centered. I'm in an extreme. I've gained a lot of weight. I'm in an extreme again with that. My physical health and my emotional well-being while talking to you today is I'm drained. 
I'm wiped out. And all my fellow colleagues are almost in the same exact boat as me. What does that mean to everybody else, right? I have a city that really doesn't support EMS workers. What we've done from the union standpoint is we went and found therapists who work outside of the agency to provide therapeutic care, which we've had numerous members tap into. I would get calls during the pandemic from medics and EMTs that say, Anthony, I want to kill myself. And I have to sit with that, right? I have to process that. And where do I go with that? And then they say, Anthony, I'm trying to use the department therapist, which is small and limited and not really set up for EMS and was never set up for a pandemic. They wouldn't get back to them. So we went and found therapists for them. We went and found short-term therapy and then long-term therapy. We found agencies to help them with housing. We found agencies that can provide money for short-term relief because, you know, the wife, because it's not working or the husband's not working, and they rely on two incomes because we don't make enough money. You know, that stress, all those stresses were compounded. And if, you know, those are the things we're trying to do to help ourselves. It helps me helping them, service of others. Um, if I can help some stranger in a house, I could definitely help the people I sit next to on an ambulance. And they help me. If you want to know what got me through a pandemic is I would come in and I see these EMTs and medics that are going out on the road in spite of whatever dangers they face. I mean, they do that every day, but during a pandemic, they still showed up. I had a call from an EMT who got sick with the virus, and she called up to update me at the station. And she says, the lieutenant, they call me Lou. She goes, Lou, I'm still feeling sick. I'm so sorry, I'm sick. And I said, of course you're sick. You got an amb- You know, you got the virus. You're sick. Take care of yourself. She goes, no, I'm sorry I got sick because I'm not there to help everyone. And that, that really touched me, man. You know, even now when I'm talking to you, I get emotional about it. Because here's this EMT who's not making any money, who is in a city that is kind of leaving her behind. She's calling me up saying, I'm sorry I'm not there for all of you. You know, I was dipping, and that brings me back up. When I hear that, you know, okay, you know, we at least got each other. And that's what EMS workers do. I mean, paramedics and EMTs, you know, we look out for each other the best we can. And then we look out for everyone else, right? If we can't look out for each other, then we can't look out for everyone else. And, and I would like to see a city and a country really start to value that. It is priceless in its essence, a life, right? You know, how do you put a number on it? But I'll tell you what EMS workers think. We have a number. It's equality. The numbers equality. Give us equality with the other 911 services. And then everybody gets to do the work of what we consider priceless. You know, maybe you could share how the community can, can help. How can they volunteer? How can they show up for you? Anybody listening to this, there's many ways they can help. Reach out to your local city councils to make sure that you let them know EMS deserves to be a vital part of the community because we are community-based medicine. And uh, from a local standpoint, we have a lot of EMTs and medics who really do struggle because they have to work multiple jobs or they lost their jobs during the pandemic um, and we don't make enough. So uh, we, we set up a foundation. If I may, I can give you the website. Um, it's called the EMS FDNY Help Fund. If you went online and Googled EMS FDNY Help Fund, it'll take you to the website Anybody who's willing, they can donate a dollar, $10. It goes towards helping the FDNY EMS 
EMTs and paramedics in their greatest times of need. We've been able to pay people's hospital bills. We've been able to pay people's back rent. Uh, I'm sure there's other communities that have EMS communities that have something similar. You know, and it's just what you said, you know, showing up, showing support. When you hear about us in the papers, you know, we want to just come and do our job. You know, I've been fighting this fight for so long and with the union and everything else. I just, I would just like to come and be a medic. I don't want to have these fights, you know. Like, I want the biggest issues we have is, you know, we want cotton instead of polyester uniforms. You know, that's the issues that I want to get to that point someday, you know. We, we want ambulances that have, you know, uh, satellite radio in them so we can sit and listen to, you know, those are the stupid things I want to fight for. I don't want to fight because somebody can't pay the rent. Or that, that fact that my partner, Greg, that passed away from COVID on this job, his family's only going to get three years pay and no medical benefits for life. If a firefighter, a cop in New York City dies on the job in the line of duty, their families get pay and benefits for life. I mean, we're not even equal in death. I keep replaying the statistics that Anthony shared about the loss of life he responded to in any given day during the pandemic. I mean, what was already a rewarding but emotionally taxing job sounds like it became an emotional minefield. It makes me think about compassion fatigue or this emotional depletion that he speaks about and how we need to listen to first responders like Anthony when they ask for better mental health resources. I'm so glad he's in a better place now with uh, his mental health. And I mean, it really drives home the importance of taking care of first responders. Throwing a parade and thinking that that's enough uh, is actually kind of offensive to the incredible amount of labor these folks provide for their city. So next week, we'll talk with grief expert, psychotherapist, and host of the podcast Hereafter, Megan Devine, to learn more about the effect the pandemic has and has had on first responders like Anthony. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, Mr. Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski, with production support from associate producer Lillian Holman, executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. This episode was edited by M.R. Raquel and Sean Tracy and features original music by Will Rosati. Special thanks to Darren Lolk and this week's essential voice, Anthony Almojera. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion Lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. 
Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.